Oda, 30 feet away. Jumper in the air. He's got it! Lamar Odom has won it for Rhode Island! In traffic, off-balance shot. Thank you! Jared Terrell in Rhode Island has done it in the final five seconds on a circus shot from Jared Terrell. A career-high night for him and a victory for Rhode Island. Look it up, Dutton. Run out, Rowdy, look out! Oh, steal by Vance Russell off of Young. Three. Don't do it to him like that, Vance. Dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He ducks it home as the buzzer sounds. And Rowdy, the 8-10 champs. Welcome into this bonus episode of Rowdy Baseline. I'm Gary, joined as always by my co-host Andrew. But this week, as a special bonus episode of Rody Baseline, we have Rody women's basketball coach Tammy Reese joining us on Rody Baseline. I think, Andrew, the biggest guest that we've had on Rody Baseline this year. Oh, I think so. It's a pleasure to have you, Coach Reese. It's truly an honor to have you at URI. I know it's been a lot of ups and downs for our women's program, and I'm really happy that you're here. And I'm so excited to see all that you're doing with our team, and it really means a lot to two of the lifelong Rhode Islanders and finally seeing our program get back on the map. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much, Gary and Andrew, for having me, for featuring our team um, and supporting us. I appreciate it. And second of all, I got to get you some better guests. If I'm your top guest, boy, <laughs> I- I'm going to hook you up with some people, my brothers. I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you some guests. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, now, uh, Coach Reese, I do want to tell you that the, the first time that myself and Andrew met you was at a season ticket holder event about two years ago at this point. And I will tell you that I've never seen someone come up, say, Hey, you know, I'm the new women's coach. I'd love to talk to you. Love to get you into a practice. I'd love to get you to come see the girls. And from that point on, I knew we had something special here. I mean, I know myself and Andrew before the pandemic were able to attend one of the games and this team had the makings of being a, you know, big team in the A-10 and this year we've seen it so much. So I just want to tell you, thank you for the, the impact that you've given us when chatting with us. And I'm sure you chatted with other season ticket members at that point, uh, well, just kind of being proud of this team and what they can accomplish. Thank you. I remember that event. Actually, you know, administration does a great job and Dave Cox does a great job at letting us piggyback off really their events. And they, they kind of put us together. And I remember it was the first time we actually got in front of season ticket holders to try to introduce ourselves, my team. And really it's about getting the word out. Now you got to put a product on the floor. So I'm sure you guys were like, yeah, right. This has been said to us many a time, (laughs) but you know, you got to sell your product number one, and then you got to put a good product out. And last year we tried our best. I thought the girls did a great job at making baby steps at turning it around. And we got some, some good wins, especially at home for our fans. And now this year, we really have kind of turned the corner a little bit and people are starting to take notice like, wow, she was right. She got out, she promoted the product and now the product's pretty good. We enjoy it. And that's how you build momentum, but you got to gain one fan at a time. So I really appreciate you guys. We had some fans that, that came out no matter what. And there's our true, um, there are your true bloods that, that support you through thick and thin. And you were two guys that, that really were positive with our program and believed in us when, when there was nothing there. So I appreciate and thank you again for, for supporting us. No problem. I know before you took over there, I, you or I did a men's women's double header to kick off the season. And it was, the game was against Syracuse. And if I remember correctly, you were on that staff. So when you came to Rhode Island, did you ever envision yourself four years or uh, yeah, about four years later running this program? You know, no, I, I didn't even know. I'm going to be honest with you. I knew Rhode Island was a great beach town, but I don't remember flying in here. I remember just showing up at the arena and we had a really good team. However, you guys really gave it to us that game. You had a great guard. She scored like 30 plus. We ended up winning the game, but I was highly impressed um, with the team at that time. And I remembered it when I was interviewing with Thor. I'm like, oh my God. We played Rhode Island four years ago with our final four team. So it, no, I came in here. I thought you had a beautiful arena. I do remember that. It's like, wow, this is a nice, cozy place. Really enjoyed it. 
Um, but I never envisioned, I wasn't even looking to be a head coach at that time, not even an inkling in my brain. That's awesome. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I remember that game. And I was, one, I think that was one of the only women's games we went to before the new regime took over. And I was very impressed with that team. And I remember, I can't remember, I can't put my name on her guard, but yeah, that was a great game. And it's led on, that led to you guys to having a great, great season. I was like, huh, we lost to one of the final four teams that year. Yeah, yeah we, we had a really good team that year. And, and as the, the year got went on, we just got, we got really good at our pressing packages and, and ended up having one of my favorite years. It truly, that crew, that whole crew, I still keep in contact with, God, three of those players are like my babies. They, st- they come to our games here at Rhode Island. They stay at my house with their parents. <laughs> we go out to eat at uh, East Granite Oyster Bar, plug, plug. And one of my Matunic, we go to Matunic after games. But that crew, that Syracuse crew actually comes here and supports us at games, which is funny. And that's awesome to have in your back pocket. You have all the connections. Like a few years from now, those ladies could come in and help you practice and help you get your the future teams up and running and stuff. And well, I use them as recruiting tools. Um, one of them is, is coaches, you know, in, in Pennsylvania. And so they play that major, major club teams that they're involved with. And, and when you have success with certain players and you take care of them, they feed you kids that they know they're going to be taken care of and a good coach that that will relationship with them. So, no, I, I keep my contacts very, very close. My All my former players, very, very close, because most of them are in coaching now. So one thing, and this is a question that as soon as we got this interview, I've had marked, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who's asked you this question. So for the listeners that may not know, uh, you were a Disney star. So you were in a couple movies. So you were in an episode of Sister, Sister. You were an extra in the movie Double Teamed, which is a great decom. Uh, and also from what I looked up, you were also in Joanna Man. How did all of that happen? And how come you didn't end up being a star in Hollywood instead of a basketball player? Well, it's funny. I, I left college. I didn't, I chose not to go overseas. I had offers and I really, I was so heartbroken that we didn't win the national championship. I needed to step away. I took my first acting class at UVA and drama. Actually, Tina Fey was in our drama department. Sarah, oh, there. she oh, graduated that. 92 in my class. And I remember Tina. So I took my first drama class, fell in love with it. And upon graduation from UVA in 92, I went home and I auditioned for um, two um, acting schools in New York City. One was Herbert Burkhoff, was theater and stage. And the other was Lee Strasberg, which was film and television. So I, I was commuting into the city, going to class. I went door to door for, to find an agent. I get Greg Buttle, who was a New York Jet. His agency signs me. I start auditioning for commercials for, I was a fitness model. I land my first national commercials and I just started working. I got my SAG card in 92 when I graduated, got my first national commercial and I started just acting and working right then and there. And then from there, I started going back and forth from playing in the WNBA, acting, coaching, acting. And I just started landing gigs. Um, Double Team was actually about my two college teammates, the Birds Twins. And I had been in Utah, Disney films a lot in Utah. And I started just picking up work with Disney because their studios were right there. And so a lot of auditions for, for Disney. But that that became a huge hobby of mine. I started as a career and then I, I kind of missed basketball and I kept flip-flopping until finally basketball took over. But I, I tell everybody, as soon as my career is done and I retire from being a coach, I'm going to Betty White it. I'm going right back to character <laughs> acting. I'm not retiring. I'm getting myself an agent and I'm going to start, start acting again, whether it's theater, stage, it doesn't matter. But that's my other passion is... Um, oh is acting. I love music. I love movies. It's how I kick it in my, in my off. Um, I had to actually, I got to vote this year for the SAG awards. I got to nominate all the nominees cause I'm on in the guild. So I had to watch, they send you all the movies. I have about 120 movies. Um, I had to watch besides coaching. And then I just, I finished up voting for who, uh, I was going to nominate for all the categories. It's like the Golden Globes, but it's called the SAG Awards. And I was on the committee this year and it was awesome. I got to vote best director, best picture. It it was great. So it's just something I love. 
I really, really do. I love it. Um, it's my second passion. I think the one, and, and you know what, it doesn't surprise me one bit. I know if people remember, uh, you know, right before Halloween, you, you posted on Twitter that thriller dance. And I'm like, she like definitely loves like movies and music and just enjoying your time at all points. Like, like life is too short and just kind of like dancing it out. And I remember that I watched that and I was like, that's awesome. Like she, like she definitely loves what she does, but she definitely likes, you know, relaxing on her off days and, and just letting it, you know, letting it free. You know, no, I was told very early, I've seen some coaches work themselves to death, to health problems, to missing their kids growing up and playing sports. And, and I've always admired the coaches that can have a balanced life. I don't work myself to death. I believe you can be efficient at anything you do. You can be a great coach without killing yourself 24 seven and it consuming your life. I don't work my staff to death. Um, and I'm that way with my players. They have to have a balance of being a student athlete and really also a social life. Besides academics and athletics, you, that's what college is about. It's four years of the best time in your life. It's my coach. Believe you me, I had the best four years of my life. I'm not going to tell you the stories because I had too many, <laughs> but it, it's going to be, it should be. You should have fun. Basketball is fun. And so I believe I have a great kind of, coach um private life balance and it's very symbiotic and i enjoy life um and i do not work myself to the bone i don't think you have to so you may see some gray hairs and some wrinkles but when when i'm off the court i have fun i step away from it and i enjoy life and two i, I just told you music is a passion and movies are a passion i can pop culture for me it's just a way of life i love it love it that's awesome. So let's jump back into the team because that's the most important thing and all that. This year's team has a lot of international flavor, both on your staff and in the players. Is that something you'll use for future recruiting? And like what led you to going overseas to get players and stuff? Because I know it's hard nowadays to recruit a lot of international players. Well, you know, um, I first met Coach Agni Amadou at Syracuse. We were on staff together and he's from Paris, France. He, his parents lived there. Um, and, and we, he, he's got a beautiful connection internationally. Not only does he coach over there internationally and, and go to all the training camps, but he recruits, he has a pipeline in many countries. He has great relationships. And so when we met at Syracuse and I decided to take this job and he decided to, to, to come with me, uh, it's very hard to get American kids to want to come to a losing program. Let's be real. You know, did you want to get drafted um, this year by the Lakers or the Knicks? Let's be real. Yeah, uh, Lakers. Want to go? Kids want to go to winners. They want to be part of winning. What have you done for me lately? And a team that that's never won anything and and used to get rail. American kids are like, you can't even get your foot in the door, let alone get them on the phone. And so, when we were looking at this, how can we make an impact quickly in the A10? And it was, we don't have to fight a lot of schools for his connections. So right away, we got kids to transfer in that, that we knew that he had connections with. MP from Syracuse, she, she was leaving. We, we ended up getting a job. She came with us. Emmanuel Tahan from Missouri, we knew her. She was leaving. She trusted Agni. And instead of going in, every school wanted her, baby. Every big school. She came here because of the relationship. And so when we sat down and kind of organized, how can we get talent in here quickly? It was the international route. He's got connections that a lot of schools can't, can't penetrate and permeate. Now here in the States, it, it was gonna take some success to be able to get those kids to wanna come here. Now that we've turned the corner suddenly, those kids hit you right after a game. Oh my God, coach, your team is amazing. Suddenly the tide's starting to turn. So now we've got some inroads with uh, American kids, but we, we always knew the international would give us right away the best chance of turning this program around. And then we, it'll always be a pipeline, but now we also can mix in a good blend of American international and, and find what we need from both markets. And in my opinion, I know it's sad, but I think the women's game is, a bigger deal over internationally. So you may have tapped an uncharted market for college basketball going overseas to get 
the, these amazing women that can play the game at a high level already. So well, they're just like Musée. Yes, the good thing for us is, unlike the men, I mean, obviously you see Giannis and you see Donkins and you see Djokovic. I mean, these guys are playing pro at 16 overseas. So they're not going to come to college. They're going right. to go right from the pro league and get drafted. The women, a little bit different story. They're not going to make the big money. They want an education. So we've got a little bit easier go at it than college men's college does. So they're going pro. Anyone good, they're going pro. And most of our women, too, most of them, there's some really good ones that you never see in college. They're, they're planning on coming over. Suddenly, the Euro League gets a hold of them, and they got a huge pro contract. There were some UConn kids that you were supposed to see some if they would have got these kids, amazing players. They ended up going pro, never came to college. Right. And so there's just a bigger market for us in, in collegiate basketball women than there is in men. They go pro right away. Now, uh, a good point that, that you made a lot of, you know, obviously you have the international connections, but also, you know, you're talking about the United States connections as well. Uh, a, a one person I want to talk about is Catherine Karens, who's been amazing for this team uh, and, Reminds me and Andrew very similarly to Fats Russell. And I, I, I don't want to make a full comparison, but she can put up the three ball like it's like it's no tomorrow. And every time I see the ball leave her hands, I know it's going in. It's, yeah. it's it just it just makes me smile. Uh, do you feel that, you know, she has some characteristics similar to Fats uh, kind of in those first two years where, you know, Fats was able to take it to the NCAA tournament and, you know, get the three on trade on Trey Young, we already know all that story, but that she could make a, a huge impact on this team as a freshman. Well, you know, I, the first time I saw Dolly playing, she's kind of upstate New York. She's kind of infamous. I remember seeing her play when she was in like ninth grade um, against someone I was recruiting to come to Syracuse. And I was like, God, who is this kid? And everyone was trying to talk to me about not that one. Look at this young one. And fast forward years later, I see her again, and now I'm at Rhode Island. And for whatever reason, big schools, BCS schools, overlook the kid. I don't know why. I really don't, because this kid can flat out shoot it. And she's a coach's dream. When I mean dream, like the kid works her butt off, does everything right. You, you can scream at her, you yell at her. Yes, coach. No, coach. Whatever you say, coach. Like, I love this kid. She could be my daughter. That's how much I wanted this kid at Rhode Island. She was like my first American recruit that I'm like, I have to have this kid. I went hard after her because she does just everything the way I love to do. It's like looking at a little me when I was young. And she, as a freshman, I knew she could make a huge impact for us. That, that was the shooter. That was the player we needed. And not just from a, a basketball standpoint, from a culture standpoint. This is what I want my players to embody. A work ethic, a coachability. She, she has every intangible I want. And so I knew, you know, year one, she could make an impact. I saw the kid hit her last game in an AAU ball, 10 threes. Cool. Ten, maybe missed her last one. Her last game, she just went off. And everyone was like, oh, my God, who is this kid? Like, it was incredible. I'm sitting there cheering. I'm, I'm jumping up like I'm coaching her. And... <laughs> You know, it, it, it's just something you feel. It was a gut feeling that I had to have this kid and I knew she'd make an impact. And I know in years to come how good she's going to be. Not just the three ball, but she's going to take her game to a whole new level, every aspect of her game, all three levels. And so, yeah, she, she was very important to me in laying the foundation of this program. Yeah, very well considered being the face of the program for years to come. But when you were talking about coming to Rhode Island, was was it this was your first head coaching gig? Was it hard to make that decision to jump into the head coaching seat or has it always been your dream to become a head coach? You know, no, it was it was very hard for me. I never I never really, you know, I'd always go, yeah, I'd like to be a head coach, but you got to really prepare for it. And that, when I mean that, you know, you got to know everything about all the things outside of X and O's um, the business of being a head coach and you have to plan for it. You, you better know how to be a leader. You better know how to be a delegator of people. There's so many things and I never really planned for it. I, I was always like, okay, yeah, what's my going to be my philosophy. I just kind of, 
focused on player development, recruiting. I never sat down with administrators, with other head coaches, and really put my plan together until that last year at Syracuse, where I just thought I, I was starting to get itching. I'm starting to sit in the games going, I wouldn't press right here. I'd pull it back. I, I started to take over the game in my head, not just be a fan of my positions, coaching my, my little guards. I started to see the whole picture. What would I run in this timeout? What are they going to do? I started to go four steps ahead. And that's when I knew when I started to question, I oh, know I do this or I do. I started to get the itch and that's when I put a plan together. I started meeting with administrators. I started to, I got an agent. I started to talk to other head coaches and question them on the hardest part of, of being a coach and all the different aspects. And I started to learn the business. Um, and that wasn't until my final year at Syracuse and I'm 50 years old. So that goes to show you, I was very content. I loved being an assistant coach. I loved it. I wasn't quite sure that, you know, am I, I, it's like having a baby. I kept questioning, are, am I ready? I'm not ready yet. Am I ready? I'm not ready yet. Someone said, man, just have the baby for God's sake. Just jump in. You're never going to be ready. Just do it and commit to it. And so that's what I did that final year. I knew, all right, I'm ready. I got to go. If I don't go now, I'm going to be Chris Daly at UConn, or I'm going to be Boyle at South Carolina. I'm going to be an associate head coach for the rest of my life. And I didn't want to do that. I finally wanted to be a head coach. So it, it took one year, my final year at Syracuse, that I really, I made that decision. Oh, wow. So I am, I followed basketball my entire life. I played in high school and all that stuff. I'm a big lover of the women to women or the man to man type defense. And watching the last couple of games, you guys played a lot of zone. How do you have the guts to stay with the zone? Because I saw a few open shots that I was, I was nervous about, but luckily they didn't go in. How do you have the guts as a coach to stay playing the zone defense? It worked, obviously, but it just gave me – it rose my heart rate a little it, bit. It, scare, it's, it scares Andrew. <laughs> you know, over the past two years, as many times as we can't guard the ball and give up layups and then open threes, uh, it was very easy to say, and you're still in the game, rather than being down 12 off bat trying to guard man-to-man and get picked on and isolated, it, it makes it much easier. Let's just say that. And with our zone, you know, thank God I learned a lot. I learned that Q zone from Coach Bayheim and, and from Q. That's um, what I figured. I knew that zone. So it was press, pressing packages and zone. Uh, and then towards the end of the shot clock, we'd fist it up and we'd go man for some possessions. But you gotta, if you have a hard time guarding the ball, which we do at times, very hard. We give up a lot of penetration. It gets us in foul trouble. It's what happened at Duquesne. It was my, and I'll take that loss because we should have went zone. And here's my bullheadedness trying to go, man, I get MP in foul trouble and we never recover. And so sometimes you have a gut feeling and you gotta be able to take risks. You gotta say, look, this gives us analytically when you studied our last game, when you studied VCU and you guys don't have synergy, but analytically they're 35.5% against a zone. That's their efficiency rate. Wow. They're 65.5 against man, which is good. So would you play zone analytically or would you play man? Oh, I'd have, in that I'd play, case, I'd play zone. Yeah. So as a coach, we've got some things that we see that the average fan doesn't, and they may be at home going, Coach Reese is so dumb, she's sitting in that damn zone. Well, over the course of 40 minutes, analytically, we should win that game if we play a good 2-3 zone, and we right. can box out. And so, for me, it wasn't hard. It gave us the best chance, and that's my job, is to put our players in the best chance to win a basketball game. Not you know, all of a sudden it doesn't work for one or two possess. No, you gotta, you gotta stay. Okay, they hit eight threes in the first half. And we were still winning. Right. Second half, suddenly they went cold. And now we, and you got to stay patient analytically. If you believe in numbers, and I'm a probability coach, I am. I've learned that. You can't, I'm not going to, we're going to play man, even if we can't play it well. We're just going to do it because that's what I want to do. No, no, no. I got to put our kids in the best chance to win. And zone, it may be a mixture some games because we just got to throw some people off getting a groove against us. But against teams that don't operate well against a zone, you got to play zone. And we have a good 2-3 zone. We really do. 
it's pretty good. Yeah, no, that, now you put me at ease. You put me at ease. I'm glad. I just, it just, <laughs> it always got, it always, it always raised my temperature. But I was like, oh, she knows what she's doing. It just shocked me a little bit. And like that leads into me. I've, I've started watching the women's game more this year, and I've noticed that the women's game is a lot more X's and O's and actually running sets than the men's game is. Why, why is that? Like you have to focus more on your play execution and stuff. Uh, it's called athleticism. Yeah. <laughs> not, you know, not that the women aren't athletic cause they are, but we're not six foot five right, yeah. the board and we don't play above the rim. And most, a lot of women, they can't just take you at it at ease off the bounce. They're not fats. Russell fats can create his shot anytime he wants. So thus you'll see a lot of pro sets where it's pick and roll two man game, one man isolation games. Um, and then it's high flying and it's above the rim. Women, on the other hand, even in the WNBA, you'll see a lot of execution that a lot more skill um, because we can't play above the rim because not right. all women, some, some women can't, can't create off the bounce. So we need screening action. We need motion action to get that player a shot. And so you'll see a lot more ball movement and a lot more sharing the basketball um, between five players than you do in the men's game. And that's just because of their athleticism, their God gift ability. And they, they can, they, they run a lot of two man games and ISO games. And because of that, they play above the rim. So it's, and it's a flavor of two different, really right. different types of games. It really is. And it, it's what your flavor is. It's what you enjoy. Well, you are lucky. You have a few players. I noticed in the VCU game where they were able to go coast to coast in Muse and Tahan and Fapasi a couple of times. So you got you, it's almost like you got the best of both worlds down there in, in Kingston. You know, we've, we've got, and we recruited to that. We've got fours and fives. We want to play um, a transition game that you can't, we don't want the point guard waiting around for the ball. So if all five of your players can get it off the rim and go, especially your five players. Now those fives are back and your fives coming down the floor and you gotta, the little's gotta make a decision on who you're gonna take. For some reason, they usually run to Dolly and Marta because they don't wanna give up threes because we'll shoot them in transition. And here goes our fours and fives just taking it coast to coast. That's a lot of pressure on people in the transition game. And so we recruit that way. I don't, I want fives and fours that can lead our break. And so we've been very fortunate that MP and Manu and Joe, uh, our three, four, and five, they can get it and go coast to coast. That that's it's crazy how much I didn't think about it like that. And I know Andrew's been concerned about the zone, but you I think you made both of us just feel a little more calmer about the game plan because obviously you have those numbers behind. Um, I do want to change gears a little bit and obviously jump in. We had recently chatted with Bill Koch uh, last week on the show, uh, and we asked Bill where he thought the ceiling was for the team. Bill said that he, you guys have exceeded it. Me and Andrew agree. Uh, you guys have an 11 and seven record, 11 and four in conference play, had a little bit of rough start at the non-conference schedule um, and have now been able to get the double buy in the Atlantic 10 women's tournament. For the first time in my life. Yeah. Since Andrew was, <laughs> since Andrew was born, because I was born in 95, the last time that this, that we, that you or I had a winning season. So that's off to your coach. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but how, what do you think has been, what has been the, the strong point in this whole season? Just in, has it been the fact that, you know, everybody's been able to come in and you've built a, a chemistry or a culture? Uh, is it more, you know, getting the players to just mesh better together? What has been, you know, the focal point after having a, such a tough non-conference schedule and then coming into eight and play and, and blowing it out of the water? Well, I think we knew we had talent, right? Now we, we didn't foresee the pandemic. So every team, some, some teams had a summer. We did not. Our men did. Our men were on campus. We did not. So all our internationals got stuck home. No one, we had no summer. They came in at the school year and we didn't start pod practice until like the third week of September. We didn't get our team together playing a unit as a practice till like mid-October. Wow. And then we had a bunch of injuries, which no one knows about. MP pulled her hamstring. She was never healthy um, for any of the games. Sometimes she even missed the, our preseason, our non-conference. Manu had a concussion. We had these rash of injuries. So we had five new starters, all these new faces. 
and we had no chemistry, no practices. And so we go 0-4 in our first, 0-3 in non-conference and 0-4 in our first four games, right? We start to freak out a little bit. I, I start to get negative. I start to go, and I, and I just, I had to call my, my, some of my peers, and they really calmed me down and said, Tammy, take a step back and please look at what you're doing and what happened to you. And I said, they're right. Why am I being negative? I know what I got. So we turned it around, boom. We had three weeks at Christmas to focus. I got the team all positive thinking. I said, remember, we have not been together. So we started working right right over Christmas break. We had three weeks before we came back and to hit LaSalle. And we just went after it and built this chemistry. MP got healthy, finally. We start to build and we get that first win at LaSalle and they started to feel it. And, and our practices got better, more competitive. And suddenly, with the right attitude, the right culture, it just started snowballing that the kids, they're like, they're, she's right. The coaches are right. We are good. Um, but we just had to get over all these hurdles that were thrown our way and stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Really, cut it out. Stop making excuses. We're here now. Let's go. And stay in the moment, one game at a time. And it was really a mentality because um, it's very easy with all that's going on from social, our injustices and, and pandemic and playing basket. You can feel sorry for yourself really quickly and go in a downward spiral. I'm telling you. And it was a, a test to our kids. They just, and, and to our coaching staff, we said, no, enough. Uh, stop, stop it. And let's go. And we knew we had talent. It just was a, when we were going to get that chemistry and when was it going to click and boy, when it clicked. And I, I, I think the past, the last like four or five games of the season, it, we were a really good team. And that last game of the season, it was the best 40 minutes I've ever seen since I've been here at Rhode Island, even in practice, we have never played that good. Um, and I've never seen a team more focused in what they were doing game planning. It was a joy to coach and to watch. I became a spectator. And there were times they, I went, whoa. I looked at our bench and I said, my God, that was good. Um, it, they amazed me. So, you know, that's kudos to our players. They bought in and they committed. And it just was a matter, like you said, building that chemistry, but more so a belief that we could actually do it. Now you speak about the building the chemistry and all that stuff. Do you think COVID has helped you in building your culture that you wanted to like having the players be forced to hang out with each other all the time and all that stuff. Or do you think that there needs to be a break between the players hanging out with all the themselves all the time? You know, it, it really depends on what your perspective was with COVID for me as a, just me personally, I'm a homebody. I love the nature. I love my dogs. I could go a year without, and as long as I have movies and music and the outdoors and my workout room and my animals and my, my family, I'm good. I don't need 50 million people. My life is chaotic enough. I, the, the COVID for me was a reset button. It was a break. Now, it was really bad because many people got sick and lost their lives. And, but I, I looked at it for me as a different perspective. I was going to grow as a coach grow as a person. I was going to get in the best shape of my life. Um, and I was going to bring our team together. And so as hard as it was for our team, I tried to give them as, as much positive, you know, we couldn't go home for Christmas. All the other, a lot of schools in the A-10 went home. My kids stayed on, our men and women stayed on campus. They missed Christmas with their families. So we got them to go to dinner um, as a team and we, we, we did white elephant and we did all these special things, games and gifts and to bring them together. Um, and I think it did. Um, they really spent a lot of time and enjoyed each other. Um, we did pizza parties and wing parties and movie night as much as we could with the team. So we did all these little things to say, Hey, although we're going through it, let's make it a positive experience. Let's have fun. Enjoy yourself. Um, and when they came to practice, it was their ex escape because God, you can only sit in your room for so long. Mm. And it was like, 
and they do such a good job at isolating themselves. You know, people, you know, our men and our women, they have no idea what these, these kids went through this year. So I have a really hard time when people attack um, our players, whether it be our men's team or our women's team, man, you, you, no way. Stop. These poor kids are locked in rooms for 24 hours just so they can play basketball and give you guys a product. They don't try to play poorly. They don't want to play poorly, but they're going through a lot and you don't see it because you're not with them. You just see the final product on the court and you start judging right away. You can judge me and I'm sure coach Cox feels the same way all you want, but, but not the kids. They're, they're sacrificing everything they possibly can to stay healthy, to play basketball. And believe you me, they don't want to play back. Um, it's just sometimes they do. It happens. Um, but we tried to look at it as let's, it united us and a positive, not a negative. And our, our girls have been so good with it. It has. It's brought us together. For me, um, it has not been a trying time. Uh, all, although we didn't have a lot of practice time and, and all of that, you just have to be able to say, hey, you got to roll with the punches. You got to be fluid. And we said that from jump. Things can change in the drop of a dime, but and you got to roll with it. You can't get upset. You can't get angry. Just stay positive for the kids. And that's what we tried to do as a coaching staff, as a university, and as a team. And I think we did a really good job. Um, oh, yeah. I com it's amazing. And I thank you for that. Like, it's sad to see the stuff on Twitter sometimes. Like, people don't understand exactly what's going on. Like, my mom's a teacher. My dad's a firefighter. And all the stuff that is going on, these kids being able to just do it is just uh, the program and the university should take that as a win and nobody should be coming after the players or the coaches or anything in my opinion but that's just me yeah you know definitely and again you, you fans are very passionate and I love that about fans I'm a fan um but I'm a diehard fan I've been a Laker fan since I I watched Magic Johnson dribble a ball and flash that smile and we went through some good years and we went through some bad years but die in and die out baby I ain't jumping off the bandwagon. And exactly. I'm, I'm true and true. And we're back. You know, we, we, it's going to ebb and flow, but you always as a fan, you got to believe and you can question things, but never question young men and women, their ability that, that they want to win and they represent our university. And that's just how I feel. You know, of course you're going to question the coach and I'm good with that. I'm a grown woman. I can take it as I should because I get paid for my job. These kids, they, they put that roadie on and they love it. And so they try their hardest. Um, it just, they don't always, we don't always win. Um, but, you know, I'd like to see this year just not, you know, definitely in this kind of year, don't, don't, not the kids, you know. Exactly. You know, just be supportive that we, we're even playing at this time, you know. Um, and so, you know, and it's a credit to our administration of what they've done because, at both Providence, Bryant, Brown, and Rhodey. My God, what what these administrators are going through and, and all the departments, our athletic training room, and people are working around the clock to make this happen. It, it, it really is. Hats off to all, all the people that are giving us the ability to work, man. They, it's just no sleep till Brooklyn. I'll tell you what, these kids, are, <laughs> these people are exhausted. And, you know, I'm so thankful, though. I really am. They're doing a great job, especially at our school. I've never been, I've never seen a university come together um, and, and people work together to make this happen. It's, it's amazing. And, and obviously myself and Andrew definitely want to congratulate you guys and the men's program. And I'm going to knock on wood just to be safe here, right? But just the fact that I know you guys did have a slight pause earlier in, in January, obviously that that worked out but just the fact that you guys have been able to to stay safe and, and be able to give us this product which i feel like during these times it, it's it's great to have a release to go into watching something and just i know that behind the scenes there's a lot of testing a lot of isolation yeah. a lot of a lot of going through specific protocols uh and it's just something to be very very proud of that we you know at uri have done such a great job at keeping all of these kids safe whether it's the men's or the women's programs Yes. And it was easy in the beginning of the year, guys. It was a lot easier because all the other sports were gone. They were home for Christmas or they weren't on campus. And, and so you're just testing men and women's basketball and the staff. You've got all the sports back playing. And so imagine the testing 
for all the off to the medical staff. Yes, like it, it is chaos. I, I just don't know how, how they do it. And so, um, you know, hats off, like really. Um, and I'm so proud that that all the other sports have been able to kick off and get on the field. Volleyball, soccer, baseball, football's coming up. I'm so excited for Coach Flam. So Oh yeah, us too. <laughs> Yeah, just to see, just to get these guys on the field again, like, come on. So uh, it's, it's a very exciting time in the spring. I'm, I'm really excited to be able to get out and support some other sports here. So now changing gears, obviously the A-10 women's tournament is happening in a couple of days, obviously when this airs. Uh, so URI is slated to, for the double bye to play on Friday uh, against either VCU or the winner of Davidson and St. Bonaventure. Now, obviously you guys did, beat VCU in your final game. Uh, VCU was slated as the preseason favorite. Uh, but do you feel that's a, a good matchup for you guys in, in the first game you're going to have in the A-10 women's tournament? Well, I um, I know first and foremost, we'll be at their home court now because it's of at course. VCU. Um, and, and they're going to be ready for us. I mean, they've, they've, they've got some vindication and some revenge. And so that plays a part. But I do think it, it, it is a good matchup. We've, we've seen them. They've seen us. Um, right now, we've not seen St. Louis um, or Dayton. So I'm glad we're, we have VCU or, you know, it could be the other two, but we've seen the other two as well. So our, our first possible three, we have scouts done. We're prepared. We understand. And we have some time to put some wrinkles in, which we're doing. Um, game where they don't. They've got to play games before us which is a good thing. And so, you know, we've got some, some, some things we're putting in a little bit different, a lot of wrinkles that they have not seen yet. So both, all three teams, two of them have to play two games before us. So they'll be rolling in our game, you know, with a, a tight prep day for us where we we've had, we're going to have 10 and 12 days and believe you me, we're using all of them to prep for all three teams. Um, so we'll, we'll have some things ready for them. So I'm glad we've got three teams we've seen. Um, and one of them who was a very, very good team that we just played recently. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm happy with our first round draw. Um, even though VCU is, is, is a great team taking nothing away from Davidson and Bonnie's, but they have to play a game before they see VCU. Um, you know, VCU, if we can beat them two times in one year, I'll take that any day of the week, man, because they are a very good team. Very good team. And another good team is the Fordham Rams. Obviously, the goal is to win the tournament, but is there any part of you that's hoping you get Fordham again for a third time to take them out finally? You know, I really wanted to play play them a, a, again. You know, I hate losing. I, I can't stand it. Um, I'm a sore loser. Um, and so I never like to end the season going 0-2 against someone because they beat you. They're better than you. That's how I look at it. God, they beat us. We didn't even – if you split, it's a different story. And so now that side of the bracket, they got St. Louis, who is playing very well, and they are very good. And so, you know, obviously the favorites in that side are the 2-3 and three seed, but I would love if we, you know, knock on wood, you know, saying my, my, my cross that – we get through our side, I would love to see Fordham again. Cause I, I, I really do. I hate to go 0 and 2 against a team and, and I, they've got great players. They got a big three that I would love to get a second shot at them. Cause I thought um, we had the game at Fordham. We were in a position to win that game and we couldn't execute down the stretch offensively. Um, we could not. And so I'd like another chance at them. Um, I don't want to go 0 and 2 against anybody. Clearly, yeah, Gary and I, we were watching that. We were actually together for the Super Bowl when that weekend when you played Fordham and we were watching that game and we were on the edge of our seats and it was heartbreaking to see. And I know it was heartbreaking for you guys, but it definitely gave us hope that we'd get the double bind. Hopefully we'll be playing on Sunday. So, yeah. That uh, that Fordham team. And I and I thought you guys played very well. Like I was very happy. And I just thought that it's like, OK, you learn from those mistakes because it, you hate losing. But I. I feel like now if that four, like I, I just want to see the URI Fordham matchup one more time because it was such a great game. And I felt, I felt like I was just like, Oh, they're going to do it. No. Uh, like you just kind of, you're screaming at the TV and you know, you have a good matchup when that's happening. Well, you know, you look at the process. And so when we played them early on, they gave it to us in the first half of that, our first game. 
Then we made a frantic run. It ended up being a close game. It was a very good game. Um, and then the second game, we had to lead a lot of the game. Um, and it, I felt like we were in control of the game. And we made a lot of progress from the first game to the second. Um, and then they, they have a lot of experience with, with Hermia and Downey and DeWolf. They're a big three. They executed at the end. They got us. They out-executed us. And I give it to coach. Um, had some great ISO plays. She just, they do a great job. And Fordham is that hard-nosed Philly kind of kids. Um, and they play hard. They compete. That's what I love about Fordham is they'll never lay down. And I tell our kids that. And our kids finally showed up there. And they said, oh, no, no, no. We're going to punch back first. And we started competing. And I was so proud of them. But, uh, again, at the end, they out-executed us. And I thought, we have gotten better since. Again, we have made progress. And so I would love to have a third matchup with them. I really would. Yeah, oh, uh, me too. I would love it as a fan. And to close things out with, with you, Coach Reese, and we thank you for coming on. Um, how – Obviously, this team doesn't have a lot of experience in tournaments and being a favorite in a tournament. How do you deal that with that and getting the team prepared to go into Richmond next week and shock the world and get to the NCAA tournament for the first time in my life? <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, first of all, we haven't done anything. And, you know, tomorrow, my, my pregame talk before we practice, we, we kind of focus on something to, to motivate us every day. And, and Coach Agni Amadou asked me the other day, he, he, we, were, we, had a, we have a conversation every night practically, and he said, T, now that we're kind of here, what's your goal? What's your vision? How are you feeling? And I, I, I'm like, what do you mean? I, I don't really feel any different. We haven't done anything. What, so we've done some things that teams are supposed to do. And I guess for a program that hasn't had success, it's good but it's not good enough. Um, and so for me, we still have this big chip on our shoulder. Like people picked us 11th, 11th. And we came in fourth, we didn't win. And so what have we done? Are you, and I'm gonna ask them tomorrow, are you satisfied? And they're, I know what they're gonna say. And then so every day in practice, we gotta get better. That chip's gotta get bigger and bigger. And we got to go up in every game like we're that underdog because we haven't done anything. We didn't win the regular season. Our goal is to be an A-10 champion. That's the kid's goal, regular season or tournament. And so you got to play like your life depends on it, like you're playing for your life. And so that's kind of going to be our, our pregame speech tomorrow is really, are you satisfied with a double buy? Is that, is that good enough for you? Like, I know our fans feeling pretty good, but we got to get that hunger. And, and that's always been our goal is to get better every day, not wins and losses. And I always told them that even though we want to win an eight ten championship, I'm never satisfied when we play bad, we play bad against St. Joe's. We came in and, and they were kind of, they were kind of sullen too. And I said, I'm glad you're not, you're not happy and you're not clapping because we gave up a 12 point lead and that team almost beat us. I don't care that we won. We took two steps backwards. What are you thinking? We're good. We haven't done anything. And so I got to keep them hungry and I got to keep them trying to get better every day. So when we show up, cause we got 12 days off that we're not playing and we gotta, we gotta stay sharp mentally and physically. And so my challenge is to them is how hungry are you going to be? What have we done? And are you satisfied? Cause if you're satisfied, then we're good. All right. We'll show up and we'll lose in the first round. But if you're not satisfied, boy, we, we got to get better and we got to compete every day in practice to be ready. So when we step on that court, that first game, we're ready to give it to someone. We're ready to eat them up like we, we did with VCU. And that's the hunger you got to have when you go to a tournament like that. You got to have that energy. You're ready to punch first. You're ready to battle um, at all costs because it's win or go home. And so the biggest message is we're not done. We're not satisfied and we're hungry. Oh, I'm ready to run through a brick wall right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, the the last question I want to ask. So we tweeted a gift from our podcast that went viral. I'm just going to say viral, right? Um, and obviously, you, you did an interview with Stone Freeman at the end of the VCU game. What, what was the emotion that came out of that scream at the end? Was it being happy where, where you guys are? 
like a great game against VCU, which was supposed to be the preseason favorite. You guys made a statement or was it just, just getting out the hat, like joy. I I'm me and Andrew both saw it. And in my head, I was like, that's a gift. That's going to be the gift that we're going to use all tournament. Um, and I I've never seen, I think it just made me smile. Cause I could just see it in your face that you were just like, we did it. We're, we're done. Yes. And now I'm just out. So I just want to, I want to get for the fans, your, your thought process of, of the scream and just the, where it came from and what was the idea behind it? Well, without letting our team know, cause I didn't want to have a lot of pressure on them. We didn't talk about the double bot. We didn't do any of that. We talked about one game at a time and, and they knew Richmond, us, VC, we're all vying. We're all, it, it, they were big games, even UMass game. They all were big games. And so all weekend long, it was like, I was just focused on in the moment and not getting too high, too low. We get Richmond done. All right. We started prep right away for VCU. And the moment, and just, it felt like forever for that game. And then we're in the game and you're in every play. I'm in every minute, second of coaching the team, making sure we didn't, you know, have a lull. We go up and, and I never could enjoy it. I never, even after the game, it was like, you know, senior day with Joe, I had so many emotions just bottled up like heartburn right here, bottled up. And even talking to the whole interview with Stone, it was like, I couldn't celebrate. Normally we run in the tunnel and we, we just let go. Like it, it can come out before we go talk to the team. And but at the end, I was just like, Stone, man, I got to let this out. Like I just, it, it, I had to let it go or I was going to pop like, and so for me, it was just like, look, I'm just letting this go. This is, this is exactly the feeling you want to know. And I wear my emotions on my sleeve to my team, to my coaches, to, you'll know exactly how I feel by my facial expressions, <laughs> and my, my energy. And that's how I felt. I felt pure happiness and joy for my players that they saw it through. They did it and they made history. Um, I always talk about certain kids, why they came here. They came here to change things and leave a legacy first. And this was the first for them, the first team in history to beat VCU in the conference. We've never beat VCU. The, the first team in VCU's history shot the highest percentage against VCU ever in their history. So this, I want this to be the first team to win an A-10 title. It's the first team to get a double bye. It's the first team to have a winning record in 25 years. I want some first. And I, I told those kids, that's why they came here. They wanted to leave a legacy. They just didn't want to be another horse in the stable. They wanted to do something special. It's why they're coming back. It's why MP's not going pro. You believe you me, MP and, and Emmanuel have, they, they got people all over them for Euroleague. Marty's coming back. Like, they want oh. to be the first. They're dedicated to this school to bring something that they've never had. And there's, so for me- there's, there's the answer of the question I think a lot of people me. were wondering about Marta Vargas. I'm not saying that, but I know that there was a lot of murmur that she didn't get, you know- She didn't do senior day because- Senior day. <laughs> she wants to come back. She wants to have a great year. This was her year to get her feet under, but that's that emotion where that came from. Because I- I pure happiness for MP. MP never, MP was never the one at Syracuse. And to watch her dominate a game, like I've been with MP for years where she couldn't even get on the court because of injury at Syracuse. And she's been sad and she's been sullen and she's been waiting for that moment, waiting. And so that, and I go through all this for my kids to watch that joint. That's what that was. That was so many things culminating. I just let it go. Um, Cause that's how I was feeling. I had to let it go. Um, I just, I'm, a I'm surprised I didn't just keep it in. I didn't do it when the interview first started. Cause that's how I felt. Like my head was just going to pop off and happy, just smiles and unicorns and rainbows. were going to go all over the Ryan center. So that was just emotion. That was pure happiness. I have never, other than going to the final four, the last time was four years that I felt that happy. I'm, I'm being serious. Um, was when we beat South Carolina, I think in the regional and Tennessee to go to the a final four. I felt that way. I actually cried. Um, but that was, 
yesterday that the other day that was that was just happiness that was just emotion that was a scream 25 years in the making for your eye fans and it yeah. was me it was me on my couch on saturday after or sunday afternoon but yeah no it was it was awesome to see and i can't wait to see the next the next week coach Reese, in the next few years with you as our leader in the program and maybe a one day getting to the getting to the yukon standards and taking them out that would be great to see Gino Oriema lose to Rhode Island. I hope, I hope he's still around coaching um, by the time, you know, we get there, but that's our goal. And, and, you know, Gino recruited me to Virginia and then he left and he went to some school named UConn who just was the pets. They were dead. <laughs> and he came in my home and I let him in my home and I remember him selling it. And he, he told me, Tammy, I'm telling you. And he was cocky and I loved it. I loved him. Him and Chris Daly. I'm telling you, we will be in the Final Four. Mark my words. And who did we see at Virginia in our first Final Four? Gino in four years. He got there like that. And he said, why, why not us? Why not us? And I say it to our kids all the time. Why not us? You got to believe it. And my recruits, I say it. Why not you? Come to us. I promise you, we're, we're, we're building to that. And you got to believe it. And if you don't believe it, you don't have a vision, those kids will feel it. They'll know. Your recruits will know and your players will know. But if you feel it and you believe it and you can get the right kids on the bus or in the boat rowing the right way, it can happen. And that's how you build something great. So if you don't believe it, you shouldn't be coaching. You, you, you shouldn't be a leader of people because um, you're the pillar. You're, you're the one. And your coaching staff and everyone who touches your kids – they all got to believe it right down to your manager who's cheering on the sideline with a towel. That's how, that's how you start something special. And so that's what everyone told me, all the greats. It's how I, I was as a player. It's how every great coach who started a program, Tara Vandeveer, Dawn Staley, Gino R.E.M., Vivian Stringer, Pat Summit, the list goes on and on. The greats believed it. They believed in themselves and they believed in their vision and they were able to lead people to the promised land because they had a belief. And so I take their, I take their cue. Um, I believe it. I believe we can do something special here or I wouldn't have taken the job and I, I wouldn't be a leader here if I didn't believe it. So hopefully one day, Gary and Andrew, we, we, we can give you that championship and then we'll come back on and we'll go, remember when? Yeah. <laughs> Music to my ears, Coach Reese. Music yeah. to my ears. I can't wait for that day. That's what makes it so special is, you know, you you, you can talk about it years later and you go, remember when we, we sat down? I do it with my coaching staff all the time. Remember when we were scratching our heads and punching a wall going, oh, we, we, how is this going to happen? And, and you keep fighting and then it happens and it just is so satisfying. Um, you'll be screaming. You'll be going down. <laughs> you'll be out. And that, that's, that's the great part of the process. It's why I coach. Hey, I just know that when it, comes down to it and we'll be able to be back at the Ryan center. I know that myself and Andrew, and I think a lot of people are going to be uh, going to these women's games and, and being really happy at where this team has come from and just the successes that they're going to, that are forecoming. Cause I, I don't think this is a limit. I think the, it's just going to go up from here and, and the, the work that you're doing coach Reese is just phenomenal. And I think myself, Andrew, and a lot of the fan base couldn't be, happier to see such a successful team this year and, and what can be accomplished in the future. Well, thank you guys. And I would be remiss if I didn't, number one, I give all the credit to my players because coaches prepare players to win. We put them in a good position. Players win games. Don't get it twisted. Players win games. We prepare them to win games. And then my coaching staff is absolutely phenomenal. And people don't believe me, but they run practice. They've got they all scout, they all recruit, they all have offense, defense, transition. They have a voice and we make decisions as a collective whole. Ultimately it falls on me. Yes. Cause I'm a head coach, but my coaching staff, if I, if I get COVID knock on wood, I don't, they'll have no problem coaching a game because they're ready. They're, they're all one day are going to be great head coaches. Um, I'm preparing them for that, but I just have a staff that they're, they're amazing. And so we wouldn't be where we are today, number one, without our players, but I wouldn't be anywhere. My staff makes me great. They really do. They work their buns off. And so they need, they need just as much credit as me because they do a hell of a job. 
makes me it makes me smile. So as we said, URI plays Friday on uh, that game at two p.m. either against VCU or the winner against uh, the winner of St. Bonaventure uh, and Davidson. Uh, so don't forget to miss that. That game is on ESPN Plus. And a thank you to Coach Reese. Thank you for being on the show uh, and chatting with us. I obviously know that the tournament is around the corner. You have a lot of prep to do and get this team ready for the tournament later this week. So uh, myself and Andrew are super happy that we were able to, to get you on the show and, and chat about this amazing run that this team has had. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, guys. And and um, I appreciate you giving us the coverage and, and getting us out there and getting us to, to the fans that haven't really followed us or heard about us. And it will just take one fan at a time and slowly build that fan <laughs> base and um, give them something to cheer about. So thanks guys. And you have a great week. Thank you. And Anytime. Good luck stay to healthy, you guys. Stay safe and good luck coach. All right.